the truth isn't always pleasant. Sometimes the cold, hard facts hurt. It's wonderful for those of us that know the Lord as our Savior to think about heaven, how glorious that's going to be. And at the same time, the other, other side of that coin is the fact that there are those that are lost and will spend eternity separated from God. We think about the direction that the world is going, the pain and the suffering that folks are going through and all of the difficulties that we face and it's bad enough, and then something like COVID comes along and just, well, just knocks the props out from under us. And uh, now we uh, don't even feel comfortable shaking hands and being close to one another. And, and whether we know it or not, it takes a toll on society, on families, on churches. And uh, we realize that it's a difficulty that we have to face and we also understand that there's some reason, a divine reason behind it all. We can't wrap our mind around it. We can't explain it to other people. We can't even understand it ourselves. But, but there's something going on, and we might not know all of the details of the problem, but we know that there is a God who's behind it all. And this morning, I want you to look in Acts chapter number 16. And I'm certain you know enough about the Apostle Paul to know that he was a man who had devoted his life to winning others while there was yet time. He went on one mission after another and down to the very end, even while in prison. It was the desire of his heart to show others the way to salvation. We look at the world and the mess it's in and think about what can we do, you know. We can vote for a particular party. We can campaign for this and against that and on and on the list goes. But when you get right down to it, the only thing that we can do that really makes a difference, a major difference, is to get the gospel message out to those that are lost. Because if people are not changed from within, they're certainly not going to change for the good without. So Paul is on his second missionary journey. And we come to verse number 13 where he has gone to Philippi. And he says, and on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wrought to be made and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, her and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Now look down at verse number 40 because right after this we find the Apostle Paul being cast into prison. He and Silas. And now finally they are out of prison. They've been beaten. They've been warned. And now they are out of prison. And verse 40 says, And they went out of the prison. 
and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Big things sometimes come in little packages. And that's certainly true of this story. It's the story of a a liberated lady, the story of a passionate preacher, the story of a great God, and that is the most important part of the story. A lot of times preachers will preach about this story and put all of the emphasis upon Lydia, and that's certainly interesting, and we'll look at that in just a little bit here, but sometimes we can get so lost in the details of the story that we lose sight of the most important part. And the most important part has to do with the providence of God. And I'm going to speak about that first, and I'm going to speak about it last. And in between, we find Lydia being mentioned only three times in all of the Bible, but her story, believe it or not, is of great importance. It's important because... She was the first convert that we know of, first convert on record in Europe. That's especially significant to those of us who live in the Western world, by the way. Had Paul gone the other direction as he intended, things would have been a lot different. And I'm convinced that we don't give enough thought to the working of God's providence but boy you can't miss it whenever you look at a story like this because here's Paul on his second missionary journey this time he's with Silas and his plan is to go into Asia he's already in his mind got it all mapped out after all people there need to hear the gospel and so you know according to his reasoning that's where he ought to go but God had a different plan if you look in verse Verse 6 and 7 here, it says, They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Can you imagine that? And God says, No, I don't want you to go there. Now, keep in mind that at this point, when those words were spoken here, the Lord doesn't give him further instructions. He just says, I don't go there. And no doubt Paul has got to be thinking in his mind, Isn't that what you call me to do, to take the gospel to the whole world? And You know, the people in Asia need it, and uh, so uh, why not? Believe it or not, we're sometimes guilty of questioning God and His wisdom because God directs us to do exactly the opposite of what we think we ought to do or what we feel like doing. So the Lord said, no, I don't want you to go there, but it tells us here that Paul planned to go to Bethania. In other words, Lord, you don't like that idea? I'll go somewhere else. How about that? But the Spirit suffered them not. That is, uh, did not give them permission, did not allow them to do so. So they went to Troas, and there something very unusual happened. Paul had a vision. It tells us here, a man of Macedonia. Notice in verse number 9, he says, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And so Paul then sets aside all of his plans. He goes to Philippi, which is the chief city in Macedonia. But when he gets there, I want you to notice that that he's met by a woman rather than a man. In the vision, it was a man saying, come over and help us. But he gets there and here is 
Here is a woman. She's meeting with some other women down by the riverside, down there in a prayer meeting. That seems like an odd thing. This woman, now notice that this woman is of Thyatira, which is, by the way, in Asia. And so whenever he gets there, he comes to Macedonia, and the first person that hears him is a woman of Asia. You know, it just doesn't stand to reason. I mean, you know, uh, naturally you ask yourself, why? If the woman belongs, you know, to Thyatira, just let her stay home and let Paul go there like he wanted to do. I mean, that that's the shortest route. That settles it all. That's a simple plan. But God had another plan, and that is that the woman of Thyatira has to go to Philippi, and Paul has to go to Philippi also, And God just brings them together in a way that they had never dreamed of. In a way that they no doubt could not understand. How is it that this happened? He's wanting to tell people in Asia about Jesus. And God says, no, you can't. God sends him in a different direction. And he gets there and lo and behold, there's a woman. Now, with that in mind, I want you to think for a moment about this woman and, and her conversion. Keep in mind that, uh, that she's obviously a religious person. They're down at the riverside. They're having prayer together. Verse 14 tells us that she was involved in a business. It says she was a seller of purple. Now, that might refi- refer to the dye that was used to stain cloth. Or it could refer to the garments themselves. Her hometown in Thyatira was famous for the dye industry. I mean, this is a big business item. And Lydia is a businesswoman. I don't know if you ever think about it or not, but as Baptists, I think we've been guilty of ignoring the needs of business people. Yeah, we'll go into the ghetto, we'll go to the jails, the prisons, the rescue mission, the nursing homes. We'll go to all of those places. Well, why? Well, those people need the Lord. We see a bum out on the street, we give him a dollar and hand him a track and tell him about Jesus. But for some reason, we just run scared whenever it comes to business people. We got we got business owners here. I mean, I don't want to miss anybody, but I I think about uh, you know Brother John and Rick Morris, Bubba, different ones. You have your own business. Uh, when's the last time? When's the last time someone came to your office and said, you know, I'm from certain Baptist church, and I just I just want to come over and meet you and to see if you've ever trusted Jesus as your Savior. That happened to any of you guys recently? Didn't think so. There's just something about it. We don't want to. We don't want to deal with you know people like that or people that are what we might think of as uppity up. The folks you know that live in Kingwood or the even richer parts of the uh, of the community. We we just some way we hold them at arm's length. And what we need to understand is that everybody needs to hear the gospel. 
whether it's uh, the prostitute or whether it's the president, whether it's a drunkard or whether it's a doctor, you can never speak to the wrong person about Christ. I pastored a church years ago, and there was a fellow in the church that he had been in that church forever. And he was the adult Sunday school class teacher when I got there, and uh, older than anybody in the church. And uh, I, I can remember him, uh, I remember the street, and every time I would drive down the street, he was always in the same spot on the porch swing in front of his house, smoking his Lucky Strike cigarettes that he loved. And he had sat out there, and I would be out on visitation. Others would be out on visitation. We're out knocking on doors. And I talked to him about it one day, and he said, um, he said, I just didn't feel led to go. He said, I, I don't think we ought to talk to anybody about the Lord unless we feel the leading of the Lord to direct us there. Now, that might sound like some really deep spiritual stuff to you, but believe me, it's not. And I couldn't help but wonder how come it is that the Lord never leads you anywhere. You just hang out on the front porch all of the time. And all the community around you dying and going to hell. And here you are sitting on your porch without making any effort whatsoever to tell them about Jesus. God doesn't have to give you some special revelation that I want you to go somewhere and tell someone about Jesus. He already said go into the whole world. Amen. That includes, includes everybody. So here's a woman involved in a business and Paul did not pass her up because of that factor. Then in verse 14, she sees she's, we see she's interested in religion because it says here she worshiped God. Now there's not anything said here about her being Jewish. There's no indication that she had ever heard the gospel before whatsoever, but evidently to some extent, she had adopted the God of the Jews, you know, as, as her God. That's kind of the way people look at religion today. They think of Christianity as just one of several different choices. And, you know, they just attend the church of your choice. It's on the Sabbath day, so that makes me think she's leaning toward Judaism. And it's a prayer meeting, so she's somewhat sincere about uh, recognizing her need and all of that in itself is somewhat amazing to me because, let's face it, a lot of times the business people are the ones that are the least interested in spiritual things. But Lydia obviously knew that there's something missing in my life. She's like a lot of people, she's religious, but she is lost. And her interest in religion was not sufficient to save her and nor will it ever save you. We had someone uh, several years ago that came, uh, actually joined the church. I, I didn't know much about this person at the time, but I soon learned because they loved to tell me about themselves. And uh, this person had told me how all of the different books and the different religions that he had read about and he had studied... And he basically was saying, I went through this process of just trying to figure out which one was the most logical, which one made the most sense, and 
I finally arrived that you know, Christianity is a pretty good pick. That's basically what he was saying. And that's exactly the attitude that a lot of people have. They're interested in religion, but they know nothing about the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the saving grace of God. They don't know anything about that. And she didn't at that point. But now she is instructed by God's messenger. Because in God's divine providence, she is brought in contact with Paul and Silas who took advantage of that opportunity and says, We sat down. What if they had just walked on? We sat down. We stopped in our tracks. There were those women there having prayer down by the river, and we stopped and we sat down. Notice, and he says, and spake unto the women. So not just to Lydia, but they are speaking to all of the women. You know, we always have an opportunity to witness for the Lord. If we take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us, And there's no denying that the Spirit of God has directed the footsteps of Paul. And now as he's following the Lord, he comes in contact with Lydia. And he sat down and started a conversation. A conversation that involved her relationship with Jesus Christ. Now all of that is well and good, That's something that we ought to do, but don't ever forget this factor. That is verse 14 says here that God opened her heart. You know, we can speak about the Lord, preach about the Lord. We can hand out tracts. We can do everything that is in our power to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But without the convicting, convincing power of the Spirit of God, it will never amount to anything. God opened her heart. That was essential because by nature man's heart is closed to the truth. Most people have already made up their mind. They they don't want to be confused by the facts. They know what they believe. They don't know why, but they know what they believe. And they're satisfied with that. So here we see a reminder of the importance of the influence of the Holy Spirit. And without Without His power, without His work, all of our labor would be in vain. And believe me, He's still doing the same thing today. Over the years, Bev and I have had a lot of conversations, and, and especially when it comes to children, her, the depth of her concern for children is far beyond what most people imagine, as I've said before, if you know, if God just said, do whatever you want to do and I'll make it possible, she'd be running an orphanage of a thousand kids down in the middle of some nowhere taking care of those kids. But one of the things that seemed to always come up in the conversation had to do with children understanding the gospel. You know, children have a way of just, they'll say just about anything you want them to say. It's it's really an easy thing to get a profession of faith out of children. Just repeat this prayer after me. But the troubling thing, sometimes we try to pick the fruit when it's still green. It's not ready yet. 
And without the work of the Holy Spirit, without them having that deep conviction in their heart, true salvation is never going to happen. So here we find Paul at work. The things which were spoken. A lot of folks hear the Word of God, but they refuse to respond to it. That word attended means to hold to hold the mind. It means to pay attention. It means to apply oneself or adhere to. She was hanging on every word that Paul spoke. I don't know exactly what he said. But obviously it was about Jesus. Obviously it was about her need of salvation. And she is listening to every word And as soon as she comes to a knowledge of the truth, verse 15 tells us she was baptized. You know, that's the way it ought to be, and that's the way it is as we go through the New Testament and we see the examples of those converts who were baptized. It was was not something they had to pray about because the Lord tells us to do it. You know, the same day, the same night, somebody got saved and by the way, that's the way we used to do it. The first church I started, somebody made a profession of faith. My first question was, are you ready to follow the Lord in baptism? Well, yeah, I mean right now. As soon as we dismissed, we didn't have a baptist. We had to go down to the river. So we go down to the creek and have a baptismal service. Not, not a lot of folks today would be willing to go for that, by the way. But they did back then. We baptized more back then in that little old place than... Uh, than we have in the last three or four years put together. You don't look, somebody says, well, I, I just want to pray about it. Why are you going to pray about something God already told you to do? Amen. You don't need to pray about whether you ought to be baptized or not. You ought to be baptized if you know you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'm glad to announce we'll, we'll be having two baptisms here in a little while. Thank God for that. Amen. She was baptized immediately, but notice what happens next. Now she is insistent, as it were, on Christian fellowship. Verse 15, and she constrained us. The word constrain means to compel, or it means to force, it means to make necessary. Come into my house and abide there. They say just drop by if you happen to be in town again. Doesn't say just just come by for a little while, but come by and abide there. By the way, that's a big deal whether you realize it or not. Just come over and camp out there. I, I what Brother Roger said about they've evidently got a room out there on their house, and so whenever the storms come and we have a hurricane or something, they they just open up their home to people that are in need. Thank God for that. Doesn't the Bible say something about hospitality? And that's a big deal. You fellas want to be really careful about inviting someone over, you know, without talking to your wife and say, oh, honey, I forgot to tell you, you know, uh, so-and-so is going to be spending the next week with us. She might not be ready for that. Sometimes, sometimes they're not as sincere about uh, serving the Lord as they want you to think they are. I remember a woman's last name of Johnson, and I won't go beyond that, several years ago. Every week she'd come and she'd pray. And she'd tell me, Brother Stone, why don't you pray for my husband? He needs to be saved. He was a dairy farmer. 
I chased that guy all over all over a forty acre field out there trying to tell him about Jesus. I waded through the mud and the muck of a barnyard trying to tell him about Jesus. And finally, finally I got the chance to tell him about Jesus. And he trusted Christ as his Savior. He got in church. And I mean he was on fire. He was there every time the doors was open. And I noticed one day she's not there. She had dropped out. Whenever I talked to her, I went out and what happened? We've been praying for your husband. He got saved and he's in church and now he's coming by himself. What happened? Well, he's just become a fanatic. He's gone overboard now, you see. Listen, Lydia meant business. When she received Christ as her Savior, she was saying, I'm ready to be baptized. They baptized her. They baptized her household. She said, I want you to come to my house. I want you to come and and abide there. Stay there. But look down at verse 40, because now Paul and Silas have cast a demon out of a woman and been misunderstood. They've been beaten. They've been imprisoned. Now they finally get out, and in verse number 40, where do they go? Well, if it had been the average Baptist preacher, it would have said they hightailed it out of town. But it says, and they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had been, uh, and when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. And when they had seen the brethren... They comforted them. Yeah, I've just got a, a feeling that some of us, having been in that situation when we finally got to Lydia's house, might have said, oh, you don't know how, how poorly I've been mistreated. Let me show you these scars. I mean, they beat the daylights out of me and they put me in that old stinking jail cell. And it, I th- I'm thinking about getting a lawyer and suing them. And Paul doesn't have any of that on his mind. Whenever he gets there and he sees the brethren, there's others there now. And he comforted them. Now that's what being ministry-minded is all about. Thomas Spurgeon said that providence is always working with you while you are working for God. They get out of prison and God puts them in contact with these Fellows that needed encouragement and mark it down. God wanted you to be here today at this time to hear this message because believe it or not, there's something in it for you. It might be that you're here today because you need to see the need of reaching others for Christ like Paul did. That might be the only thing you get out of the message. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit has just pricked your heart and your, and calling to your remembrance the opportunities that He opened up for you, you walked away from and you ignored. And He's reminding you that you can never speak to the wrong person about Christ. Go tell someone about Jesus. It might be that the providence of God brought you here because, well, it might be because you need to be saved just as Lydia did. 
You might think, well, it was of my own volition that I decided to come to church today, really. Who put the air in your lungs and the blood in your veins and who enabled you to be here today? We're all here for a reason. It might be that the reason is for you to see your need of being baptized. It might be that you need to be reminded about the needs of your family and the importance of Christian fellowship and your obligation to serve God. But whatever... You're here because God wants to do something in your life. We know how Lydia responded, don't we? That's history. We have the record right here before us. The question is, how will you respond? I have absolutely no doubt that God wanted me to preach this message this morning at this time. And I'm, I'm convinced that I know why. After preaching about God... The only God, about six weeks ago, then speaking about Him as the God of all grace, the Father of mercies, the God of comfort, the God of peace. It's as though God is saying, look at me. Look at me. I want you to look at me. I want you to attend to my attributes. I want you to ponder my providence. I want you to consider my control. Paul wasn't running the show. God was. Lydia didn't decide what time and what day would be a good place to meet a preacher. God did. And I can say without any reservation... That we're all here today because of the providence of God. We all worry too much, don't we? Life is tough. Pain hurts. We have all these questions in our mind and we tend to worry. Instead of thinking about all of the bad news, it would be good if we had learned to focus on, on how good and how great God is. Because regardless of how awful your life might be, remember this, God isn't finished. Contrary to the way that it appears, you can rest assured, listen carefully, it's all going to end well. Just like God planned, just like God promised, we fret, we fuss, we fume, we fight, all because we fail when it comes to the matter of faith. And we fear that everything is out of control. But there are no accidents with God. I think about that in the story of Lydia. Think about the story of Joseph and how every movement, every detail was orchestrated by God. And it looked as though everything was against him. That's what Jacob said. He said, all these things are against me. But that wasn't the case. Think about the Apostle Paul and what he went through. Think of others. Based on appearance, it seems like your world is crashing in around you. It seems like the promises of God have failed. And yet, and yet we have the promise of God's Word. It's all going to end up. When it's all said and done, whenever it is over, it's all going to be just perfect the way God planned. We call that providence. Providence is the act of seeing and providing or preparing for the future. 
It's God's foresight and it's God's power to watch over, to protect and to provide for His creation. And that's why the Bible commands us repeatedly, fear not. We all have to face that monster nearly every day that we live, that monster of fear that wants to drag us down. It wants to put us on the shelf instead of God being able to use us. And the Bible says, fear not. That's a command just like any other command in the Bible. Fear not. And the only way that we can possibly live a life that is free of fear is for us to focus on the providence of God, what He's doing. And as we ponder God's providence, it prevents us from going into a state of panic and it provides peace regardless of what we're suffering, regardless of what we're going through. It's like providence just opens up a door of thought that is so immense that that we could never speak about it enough. And yet, sadly, there are some preachers that have never, absolutely never, ever preached about the providence of God. I don't know how we could miss something so important as that. Rather than being terrified by our troubles and our trials, we, we just need to trust the fact that God has a plan. And He's not through yet. Old writer years ago, B.B. Warfield, made a statement. He said, a firm faith in the universal providence of God is the solution of all our earthly problems. Do you believe that? That's the solution, a firm confidence in God's providence. If it was such as it should be, we would not worry, we would not fear. To think about God being in control even when it looks like everything is out of control. William Cowper, the great hymn writer from many, many years ago, wrote that, this was his last hymn, by the way, God moves in mysterious ways His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. He was a man who had a lot of emotional problems, a lot of difficulties. So much so that the time came that he was struggling with his depression and The cab driver took me to the Thames River. Didn't tell him why, just wanted to go down to the river. And all of a sudden, there was a thick fog that just enveloped the entire area there. It was so bad that the cab driver got lost. And after a while, the cabbie said, look, I I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I'm going. I'm, I'm just going to have to let you out. And he stopped the cab and let him out. And he was right there in front of his own doorstep. And all of a sudden, something went off in Cowper's mind that God stopped this. God sent a fall. God kept me from doing that for a reason. And he wrote this last, this last of his hymns. God 
moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform, and indeed he does. That's the providence of God, how that God can take something that looks bad and make it into something that's good. The problem is we're like the woman that had gone to this, this place that manufactured carpet, rugs, expensive rugs. And she looked around there at those that were ha- hanging up, you know, to, on display. And finally she says to the proprietor, she says, uh, I don't see any beauty in, in this at all. And he said, of course not. You're looking at the wrong side. And you see, when you look at the back side of the rug, it's just, you know, it's just all of those knots and loose threads and things like that. He said, look at the right side. And that's what we need to do when we think about whatever it is that we're going through in life. I hope you read the morning manna this morning. I wrote that with this message in mind because of the fact that so many times we think something is bad, it's horrible, it's terrible. And, and listen to me. It might be exceedingly painful. It might totally change our plans. It might dash our hopes and our dreams and all of those things. But in the end, somewhere down the road, later on, perhaps even in eternity, God takes that thing that we wanted to avoid with all of our heart and He uses it for some glorious good. Now, if we, listen... If we know He's going to do that, why then do we complain about His plan? Why do we complain about what we're going through? And, you know, we quote Romans 8.28, right? We say that we believe it, but do we really? All things. It's the bad things, the good things. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and the call according to His purpose. I think America has forgotten about uh, how the Declaration of Independence ends. It says, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I believe it was that kind of an attitude that built this great nation. And now, rather than embracing the providence of God as that which comforts us in time of need, we've just sort of blotted it out of our memory. So let me make this personal, and I'm through. What are you relying on this morning? Do you really honestly trust God's plan for your life? Do you have faith in His promises? Do you have faith in His power that He will protect you and He will provide until He gets through with you and then, and then He'll do something even better? He'll take you home to glory. And if your answer to those questions, if it's yes then I'm telling you, you don't have anything to worry about. Because the best really is yet to come. And we're going to see it one of these days so very clearly. What we thought we understood so well, one of these days we'll see 
it'll just be a wow moment when we stand before God and we see how He put all, all of the details together and made something beautiful out of it. Does it have to do with salvation or baptism? Or, or it just might be that uh, it's because of your neglect of telling others about Jesus. I, I don't know. But I know now's the time to act on it, not later. The door of opportunity is open. The providence of God brought us to this place. And we bid you to come while we stand together. Our musicians come and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation here in just a moment. And as we do, the Bible says that God opened her heart. And it might be this morning God has opened the door of your heart and speaking to you about something in your life. What will you do? Father, we come before your throne of grace this morning praying that your will might be accomplished in each of our lives. And Lord, if we, if we don't know what your will is, if we don't know where we have failed, I pray the Holy Spirit might speak to our hearts and reveal to us the shortcomings of our life. The God today that we would resolve in our heart to bring the whole matter before you and to commit our ways unto you. I pray you'll save that person, a man, a woman, or a boy, a girl, whoever it might be that's not saved. Lord, today, may this be the time they put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. For we ask it in His precious name. Amen. As we sing together and those awaiting baptism, as you come, please.